You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. And my very special guest today is Jeannie Kendall. Now, Jeannie was born in Cornwall. So, Jeannie, did you spend your life on those golden beaches in Cornwall? What was your early upbringing like? I did pretty much. It was unusual in that uh, we lived in a hospital. My father was a doctor um, and it was quite remote, so we lived in there. But it was biking distance from the coast. So I spent much of my life either in the big grounds of the hospital, which were very beautiful in themselves and very Mm -hmm. big, had been a a stately mansion in times past, or cycling down to the the beach. So, yes, it was fantastic in that way. It sounds a very healthy lifestyle as well. It was, it was, and it's lovely now to be back by the beaches. It feels like coming home, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> now, where did your faith journey begin? Well, it was, uh, it, it took me by surprise, to be honest. Um, when I was 12, uh, my father died and we had to move out. Um, we moved into the local town and the only way to meet people was the local church. So I started going to the uh, kind of after church youth group. In church itself, I was quite disruptive. Um, I didn't, you don't say. You were, <laughs> you were a naughty girl, Ginny. I was a very naughty girl. My aim was always to get the vicar to stop his sermon and tell me off. <laughs> did you succeed? I, I th- did once or twice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was great fun. Um, but the, the after church youth group really was where we met people. And uh, they had a new curate came who was... Um, very much an evangelist and he was speaking one day about the man at the pool of Bethesda I was 16 by this time quite a, a, an angry teenager really um, got thrown out of guides and all sorts and um, <laughs> he spoke on on do you want to be healed do you want to be saved uh, and to my surprise I found myself standing and responding um, and there began a long journey uh, when I went home and told my mother I'd become a Christian she said oh good perhaps there's some hope you might stay out of trouble <laughs> I was going to say she probably died of shock <laughs> she was quite shocked, I think, but sort of thought, well, maybe well, there's some You were some shocked, weren't you? You were shocked. I yeah. was really, and all my friends at school said, what has happened to you? And I said, why is that? And they said, you've changed on the hockey pitch. How, how did you change? Well, obviously on the hockey pitch, were you considerate to the other uh, players? <laughs> I was considerate, and I think, to be honest, my uh, language may have changed a tad <laughs> as well. Um, it was a... It, it was really quite a, a um, significant and sudden change. Uh, the anger went. Um, I think I still have a bit of a teenager in me, Blair, to be honest. Uh, but that well, whole... that's good. That's brilliant, isn't it? A bit of life. <laughs> exactly. That whole kind of angry thing went. Um, mm. And I just found myself fascinated by the Bible, uh, which I hadn't really read, apart from, I guess, a bit in school. Um, and it just came alive to me. The words on the page came alive. And I thought, this, this is me. This makes sense now of, of what uh, obviously has been there underneath, churning around. What was it that really helped you, you know, in your early spiritual development obviously people like the, the curate and vicar and so on but were there others who had a real influence on when you're growing i think it was particularly them but also several of us in that group became christians at the same time and so we hugely encouraged each other uh and and we would um there was a also a local methodist minister who took us around totally young to, to faith doing services in little churches and so we kind of grew as so we did you were dropped in at the deep end then very much so <laughs> very much so yes. and uh, now very early on you, you felt a call to uh, full-time ministry how did that birth in you 
Um, it was uh, just reading reading some of the scriptures and some of the ways in which people received a calling from God. Um, and I, it just grew in me that yeah, this is for you and this is something that is, is going to be true of your life. But at the time, there was really not much happening in terms of the ordination of women. It was before even the Church of England did, although Baptist churches did ordain deaconesses, but I didn't know any of that at the time. Uh, so I kind of thought, oh, well, perhaps it means I'm going to marry a vicar. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, my husband was at that time in, in waste management when I eventually met Quite him. the opposite to being a vicar. Well, I suppose there was a bit of a connection there, you know, with the rubbish and in with the good. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, and re- recycling all sorts of things. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's uh, God's full of surprises, isn't he? He oh, never can, does can, what we expect. You can thankfully. say that again. That's the All Souls Orchestra and Choir there with their version of that wonderful hymn, How Great Thou Art. Jeannie Kendall is my very special guest uh, today. Well, Jeannie, we left you that uh, you'd had this pretty dramatic conversion, very radical change uh, of life. We're still applauding for the hymn. Thank you, guys. I know you appreciate the hymn very much. So do I, actually. Now, obviously, you were thinking about developing career, um, and teaching came along. Of all the things that you could do in life, what appealed to you about teaching? Well, I have to confess, originally it didn't. I wanted to go onto the stage. Um, and, really? Uh, and, and then that proved to be more difficult. Um, and what would you have done had you gone on the boards? Oh, um, I always wanted to act Ophelia in Hamlet, again, really? uh, with uh, Ian McKellen as Hamlet. <laughs> I see. <laughs> the, thing, the things you want to do when you're young. Um, although some people do say that a lot of ministers are frustrated actors and actresses, so <laughs> I don't know about also, that. Also, I suppose you've got that creative streak very much in you, which clearly up until now has produced three books and no doubt produced quite a lot of other things in you as well. Yes, I think it's always been there. I mean, at one point I, I took Heinz Feet in High Places, and, and which is a book, yep. and turned that into a kind of um, stage thing for church. So, you know, I, I think that's always very deep within me. But when that looked like it wasn't going to easily work uh, and I wouldn't get into university to do that, um, I just took uh, teaching English and drama as a kind of uh, a bit of a second thing, really. But actually, my love for it really grew. Um, and I loved working with the teenagers that I worked with in, in the two schools that I, I was in. So, uh, pin a picture, what were those schools like? So the first school was in Camberwell, and that was a little bit wild, I have to say, at times. Um, so I'm not going to name the school that it was. Yeah. I'm sure it's better in these days. But uh, you did have to learn a little bit to separate fights. Um, and I had a minder. So called, you could have become a boxer among other I, I, things. I, yeah, I could. An umpire, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had a minder called Harry who would come into the beginning of my lessons because he took a shine to me and say, right, you lot, shut up. Miss is going to talk. And then he'd go off to his lesson. <laughs> Uh, Praise the Lord for Harry. (laughs) Absolutely. All sorts of things. I could uh, talk for an age about that, but I won't. Um, And then the second school was much more sedate. Um, But to be honest, I didn't enjoy it quite as much. I loved the challenge of the teenagers that had that sort of spark that clearly I had had when I was younger. And has that love for young people and their development, has that remained with you even to today? It is there, although I haven't had a lot of opportunity sort of to do anything with it, I guess, Mm. um, uh, over the last few years at at least. Although having my own children and grandchildren, that's been plenty to keep me going, I think. Absolutely. We got two grandchildren and then we had two, two, I know they're grown up now, two children of your own. 
Yes, two, two children, uh, Ross and Amy, and our grandchildren, Faith and Gabriel. They won't forgive me, the grandchildren, if I don't mention them by name. <laughs> well, well, good morning, Faith and Gabriel. <laughs> nice, your granny's doing very well. Do they call you granny or nanny or? Uh, nana, I'm a nana. Nana. Yeah. And she's doing, nana's doing well, isn't she? Oh, <laughs> they've got their thumbs up. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so obviously that, that was a bit of a baptism of fire then into community life. But then, of course, you were to change direction completely and you went to work for a church what caused that change of direction well i'd still got this sort of feeling underneath that some sort of full-time ministry was was there um and i remember going to talk to the minister of the church i was at at the time stratton baptist um, and he said to me just one phrase which was the child of promise is often a long time coming and he was talking about one of the old testament stories but that made me think, okay, it's still there, that, that um, sense of what God is saying hasn't died. Um, and then an opportunity came to work in their uh, street, um, uh, kind of high street bookshop, uh, which I went to do, and initially in books, and then setting up and running a counselling service, training for counselling. Of course, you set that ministry up, didn't you? You pioneered it, didn't you? The counselling part I did. The bookshop mm-hmm. was already there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was great because actually one of the kind of things of that bookshop, you had to read everything before it went on the shelf. I'm not sure you could do it now. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't so many books, but that was great for me as an avid reader. Um, yeah. But then, yes, it, we, the vision had always been a, a, a Bookshop, coffee shop and counselling service. Well, tell us a wee bit about how that all developed. You know, how, why, why start the counselling service? Was it because of the people that, that you were meeting in the church and indeed coming into the coffee bar? It did really spring from there. I mean, we initially had the bookshop that expanded to another shop next door. Um, and then we opened in that shop, a coffee shop, uh, which I you know, headed up and ran. That was a baptism of fire of its own way. I didn't know anything about catering. Um, but we had a lot of people come in who were, who were lost, who were I was quite near to two psychiatric, psychiatric hospitals. So we had folks come in from there for a little bit of respite. Um, it was a wonderful, wonderful privilege, Blair, to meet so many people with so many things going on in their lives, and they would simply sit and talk at a, And people at do over a cup of coffee, don't they? Or, you know, and I guess that you, you would have been a familiar face in the bookshop. Exactly. So uh, having shifted then to the coffee shop, I would sit with them and, and have a coffee and, and talk to them. And to be honest, they taught me then more than I ever taught them, I think, about what it means to be deeply and profoundly human. But I think that oftentimes we don't talk and indeed listen to people enough, do we? Because we can never really get a measure of people un- unless we take time to both really talk to them and, and perhaps more importantly, to listen. Absolutely. When, when the counselling service started up, a lot of the folks that came there, really, they needed somebody who would listen. Some of them did need professional help, without doubt. And you were able to signpost them. Uh, and they, and uh, Well, no, we had trained and skilled counsellors um, working with us, and we were all trained. Um, but some people you just knew if someone had sat with them and listened to them, really heard them, that would have been enough. But that's even tr- true now. I mean, we know that mental health challenges for many, many people, young and, and old, uh, are absolutely they're vital, aren't they? So many, many people are waiting for appointments and so on. But I guess that's, that's where your service would have stepped in because if there were people that were waiting, they knew that at their local Christian bookshop that there was a service that where they would find someone who would, would listen. Did you train a team to, I mean, you talked about training there. So you did some training and that, 
did you then build a team and train them? Yeah, so I trained myself um, in two different institutions and we had a team of 22 counsellors who had all trained professionally somewhere um, but who were Christians and so were willing to give some of their time to us. So um, it was very well respected. We won a Whitbread Award one year for, for what we did in the community. Um, met a huge, huge need and went on for many years after I left, sadly, eventually closed mm-hmm. financially. But yeah. Now, of course, you were part of very much part of the Streatham Baptist Church. Did the church sort of a, a back you and support you and the congregation and, and, the, and the then minister? Yeah, they did, they did on the whole. I think there was some sometimes a little bit of a misunderstanding so um, I sometimes had people say to me so are people becoming Christians that come to you because they weren't necessarily Christians coming for counselling and I would say no that's not a question they're asking at the moment mm. so that's uh, so that could be tricky um, but often when as people left I remember one lady who had been vehemently anti-Christian she was a little bit cautious about coming to a counselling service that was in a bookshop yeah as she left and she was actually going to move to another continent she said when I moved to this uh, where she was going she said I'm, I'm going to explore Christianity because I can see there is something here that I haven't mm. yet found I mean that impatience that s- some believers have you know I mean I can understand that people want to see long to see people coming to faith but you think sometimes we run ahead of the Holy Spirit and indeed we try and do his work for him I think we do and I think we need to let people question we need to let people journey um, and uh, God is in there God is at work in that person's life before we ever meet them well he, even before they were born exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly so we, we don't need to to stress about it in that way I think we need to, to just try and hear what God is doing and see what he's doing in their lives Did you often feel as you were listening to people and obviously they were pouring out their heart and, 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 and the problems probably to them the challenges did you ever feel inadequate? Oh, constantly, <laughs> constantly, because you've got all the training and I had, tra- you know, trained for six years or so, but um, still you're dealing with the stuff of people's souls and um, it's, it's, so, it's so delicate. I would feel so often that I was on holy ground and, you know, the most frequent prayer then is help, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm more like help. <laughs> yes, exactly. All done silently, of course, so that, that you of look course. nice and calm. Yeah. How did you cope, um, you know, after a long day of listening to different people and so on and being no doubt tired, how did you cope? I think, I mean, I've been very blessed in that my home life has always been an oasis. And before I was counselling, you know, I was, I was married before then. Mm. And, and your so husband I, was supportive, yeah. Yeah, I would go home and I would listen to, you know, a day in local government. And because <laughs> <laughs> obviously I couldn't talk specifically about what I was doing because yeah, of course, it's all yeah. confidential. Yeah. Um, but to go home and to Chill, share yeah. a cup of tea, and th- that's always been my, my happy place and my place of oasis. As you look back on those days, uh, how has that shaped you as an adult? and indeed your writing I think both my own background because it was tricky you know being uh, losing my uh, my dad at 12 and then actually my mum when I was 25 so I think the journey that I have taken and also going alongside people with the journeys they've taken I'm not afraid to go to dark places with people you know to, to be there when someone is weeping and to yeah. um, I, I'm not somebody who will immediately give an answer or feel that I've got to 
Well, that's a good thing, Ginny, isn't it? Yeah. I think too often we're quick to give a response. We're not so good at listening. And I guess listening to God as well, that wonderful, still, small, reassuring voice, which clearly you were listening to. Uh, trying, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's easier said than done, isn't it? And sometimes oh, yeah, yeah. looking back, we realise what God's been up to rather than at the time. So you were there at the church for 28 years? I was working there for 20 years. I was a member for 38, and yes. you eventually became ordained, to be, became a minister in your own right. How, how did that transition happen? So <clears throat> the, um, the person that was a minister at the time recognised that I still had this calling. I had, had a sense that the things I'd been doing were fantastic, but it wasn't the end of that particular calling journey. Um, and so he supported me in, in uh, initially coming back into the church, and I was um, teaching about pastoral care and, and helping a pastoral care team, um, but then uh, supported me on that journey into applying for ministry. Uh, to be honest, I thought they'd turn me down. Why? <laughs> because you were a woman? Uh, well, that, that was a feature, um, but also just, I don't know, I, I didn't think I was the most likely kind of candidate. Uh, and I remember having going into a, a listening group the, the night before I went to the committee that would decide and kind of having this... Uh, internal dialogue with with Jesus. I went, do you know where I'm going tomorrow? And I felt like Jesus said, well, yes, obviously I know where you're going tomorrow. <laughs> and saying, you know, well, I think they must be they'll be mad to accept me. And he said, yeah. And that's exactly the point. Yes, not the obvious people necessarily that God chooses. So you got the shock of your life because they did accept you. They did. <laughs> <laughs> and did that then involve some theological training? Yes, it did. I went to Spurgeon's College, and uh, of course, Spurgeon, you know, never went through training. I, I'm often amused at that because when you think of there was an old Baptist called Spurgey who was very fond of liturgy. His sermons are fine. I use them as mine, as do most of the clergy. <laughs> and it, and yet that wonderful pioneer of faith never himself went to any Bible college. I know, it is, it is ironic, isn't it? But I guess it's different era. Of course, um, and, yeah. and now there's something to be said that you have been through some sort of yeah, process. Of course. Uh, and I enjoyed my time there, you know, very much. Uh, and was was fortunate to do a, a course partly in Spurgeon's and partly continue in the church. So it was really on the job learning very much. So you completed your training and then you come back and were you dropped in the deep end? I think you always are in ministry because <laughs> it, it, however much you think you know what it involves, you really don't until you do it. It's a bit like a friend of mine once said, well, I go to a GP, but I don't know what they really do. I only know what they do in the 10 minutes I'm with them. You know, yeah. uh, People see the morning service, uh, and of course there's so much more, but it's just the biggest privilege. Now, tell us a wee bit about where the whole writing urge came from. I mean, clearly you'd managed a bookshop, and obviously the counselling service that went with it. You've already talked about being a prolific r- lover of books, a reader. But the idea of becoming an author, writing yourself, of course, that's quite different. Where did that spark come from? It's completely different. I mean, I've, I've always written. Uh, when I was a teenager, it was sort of angst written, you know, poetry. And uh, I, I've blogged and um, I had a series of poems that I wrote on unnamed men and women of the Bible. But they were just for sort of me. And I was due to go on sabbatical as a minister uh, a few years ago. And I was saying to various people, you know, what am I going to do? I've got three months. I need to do something you know, productive <laughs> as well as rest. Um, and several of them said, oh, you should write a book. And I said, no, don't be ridiculous. You know, <laughs> I haven't got a book in me, but a poem, that's one thing. And my husband and I, um, we birdwatched, and we were birdwatching actually on Jersey on the cliff top. 
and as we sat there watching the birds and and uh, don't get me wrong Blair I don't hear God clearly that often um, but on this particular occasion it felt as though God said really clearly to me you are to write a book on your sabbatical and this is what it is it was oh, that it was, the title it was well. that it was that clear um, and we, we went down I didn't say anything to my husband we went down we were having supper and uh, I love my husband dearly but he doesn't read what I write it's just not his he thing he doesn't read what you he, write he doesn't no I know he encourages me fantastically in other ways <laughs> but he doesn't read it and why doesn't he read it uh, well he, he's not a big reader um, I see. it's just not his thing particularly you haven't done audio books yet have you then he'd have no excuse no <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Hopefully someone will pick that up uh, just for him. But uh, we were sat there um, having supper and he turned to me and he said, you know, when we were bird watching, yes. He said, I felt as though God said to me that you need to write a book on your sabbatical. And it was just one of those extraordinary moments, the last thing in the world I, ex- I expected him to hear. And then, of course, you know, getting a book published is no easy feat. But no. um, I contacted Authentic because I happened to have their email from somebody else, uh, different context, and they took the book on, complete unknown, and they've been absolutely fabulous to work on ever since. Now, obviously, you said that God gave you the title and the, what you were to write about. So what was it that you were to write about in your first, your first piece of work? So the first book is it's called Finding Our Voice and it uh, looks at some really quite gritty subjects but it takes an imaginative look at some of the Bible stories but some of the some of the dark stories in some ways um, and then the actual text because the hope was very much that people who didn't have a Bible could be gifted the book um, because if they were interested in stories um, which everybody is I think uh, they they would be interested in the book and then the uh, um, after the imaginative bit and the Bible text text there's then a a modern story they're all true but they're all told anonymously and allowing people to tell their stories in some instances for the first time ever Um, and it is gritty subjects things like depression and abuse loss of a child Um, it's not it's not all tough but some of it is just tackling some of those things perhaps we don't always want to look at and isn't it quite uh, typical that god would have told you this is where to start Jeannie? because actually of course he knows all about the suffering all about the difficulty that people have even in understanding him jesus of course was constantly telling parables and stories and so on what reaction did you get to the book it's a strange thing when you write you don't always get a lot but in some ways uh, I mean there were some people saying it helped them because it was things that they themselves had experienced and they hadn't been able to speak about but in some ways I think it was the people who gifted me their stories to tell who as I say some of them had never told that story before so you put their stories in the book yes yes anonymously um, but they were able to say this is what happened to me they're very moving very moving, yeah. I mean, very often times we, we avoid writing about the difficult issues, don't we? Because, well, it's too difficult to write about. And I guess that some people find it very, very difficult to talk about the most challenging, difficult things in their lives and so on. So the very fact that you had some people coming forward in itself must have encouraged you. It did hugely. And I think as well, people sometimes say, oh, the Bible's an irrelevant book. But actually, when you look at these stories um, and others that are there, they're very much stories that people experience now. They're the same struggles. Uh, yes, the context was different. The, the family life was different. But those struggles are the same. And the funny thing is that, that we, we're always very slow to learn, aren't we? I guess in every congregation, we get these wonderful sermons you know, every week. But of course, the sermons of themselves are, are no good at all unless we learn the lessons from the people 
people that are the focus, whether it be Moses or Joshua or Gideon or whoever, uh, but then there to teach us so we don't make the same mistakes, but also that we can identify with the pain and the struggles that they went through. Yes, exactly. When when I was training at Spurgeon's, we were told a sermon should always have what kind of God, uh, which obviously is, is part of those people's stories, what kind of God and so what? What's that got to do with us now? I'm glad you said that because, uh, you know, I, I'm very much involved at Emmanuel Church in Southbourne and our latest teaching session, one of the things I said to my wife was, we need to do the so what uh, because, you know, uh, and actually those stories have tremendous significance when you ask that question. It's really, so what is the relevance of that for you and I today? Exactly. You know, yeah. we live out our Christian lives Monday to Saturday, don't we? So what we hear on a Sunday needs to help us with that rest of the week. So how did your first book uh, sell then? You find a publisher, obviously, and they marketed it for they, you. They did. I mean, as I say, they're fantastic to work with. I mean, you, you kind of don't know, you know, as I said earlier, you put something out there and you just hope it goes well. But since they've uh, they've published two for me since, so I guess it, it's gone okay. It's gone okay, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what sort of sales they've had of them? Do they tell you that? No, no, they don't really. Um, so oh. you have to ask them that, Blair. <laughs> I should get them in and say, oh, come on here, I want to know. <laughs> yeah. But nevertheless, I guess it's a bit like radio, isn't it? I mean, I've been broadcasting for years, but very often times there's very little that comes back. And you can actually think to yourself, is anybody out there other than Granny and my cat? And I haven't even got a cat. Uh, in fact, I haven't even got a Granny now because they're in heaven, you know. But I can understand that feeling of, you know. But no, did God encourage you? Well, he obviously did, because you went on to write two more books. Yes, yeah, oh, definitely. There was that sense of, uh, with the first book, OK, Lord, I've done what you told me to, very specifically. <laughs> <laughs> now what next? But And I think I wouldn't have written again if it wasn't that, as an idea is birthed in yeah. you, you think, OK, yeah, this is, it's right to do this again. Did you enjoy writing the book? Oh, I loved it. I've loved writing all of my books. Uh, it's my happy place. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert. I'm very shy. People never believe you don't that. Say. You don't say. You don't seem in it. No one ever believes it, but I actually am. Mm. I've just learned to cover it well. Um, so, you know, p- put me in a study with, with a computer and, and books and things to study. I'm, I'm a happy You're person. You're dead happy. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Well, of course, my very special guest is Jeannie Kellendall. She's a local uh, author, um, Baptist minister, mom, nanny. Uh, is there anything that you don't do, Jeannie? Oh, plenty. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, your first book was Finding Our, Our Voice. Actually, that, I just thought, you know, that's quite appropriate to me, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> but, uh, and actually, of course, it was about, you know, people dealing with adversity and so on. But, of course, that was your first book. Your second one came along, which is a very interesting title called uh, held in your bottle. Why that one? Well, that was again interesting how it came about because um, I was look- just looking through some th- stuff on the internet, as you do, um, and came across some very beautiful artwork which was pictures of tears and this particular artist had collected tears that she'd cried in different circumstances and she'd put them under a very powerful microscope and photographed them and they were extraordinary they were all different Uh, and it got me thinking how many people cry in the bible men and women under incredibly different circumstances men may not admit it very much well uh the person who cries most in the bible you know was joseph in the old testament 
you, you see. <laughs> and I, oh, I think if it's uh, good enough for Jesus, who of course wept to his at Lazarus' tomb and over Jerusalem and the words mean really sobbed then then it's not gentle so you know if it's good enough for him it's good enough for all of us I think Amen to that I think it's a total lie there that that I think men need to cry more for me I'm never very far away from the river (laughs) particularly you know because I think it's just lovely to have that release because things touch me you know music touches me uh, Holy Spirit people touch me you know and I think to to let that flow is important for men and women. It is. And actually, one of the things that I had to think about when I wrote the book is I don't cry very easily, actually. Um, although I do cry in worship and occasionally become moved when I'm preaching. But as a person, I don't. I think my early life yeah. taught me that crying was not a good thing yeah. for various reasons. So, Did you not cry when your dad died? No, I didn't. Hmm. No, and not for well, a long people time. People don't, do they? No. they? I suppose it's stored away, isn't it? It, it was, and yeah. in fact, I didn't deal with any of that for yeah. quite a long time. It was mm. quite a few years later when well, I really looked at it. You're with, not on your own with that one, are you? Um, no, I'm sure. And actually, mm. one of the stories in in um, in the book uh, held in your bottle is about somebody who didn't cry for years, mm. um, and and was able to do so actually in the writing of of that, which was wonderful. Um, and sometimes people think about the title, uh, which comes across from one of the Psalms, where it talks about God holding our tears in a bottle. And the word used for bottle was something that was incredibly precious. It's not just any old bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is that God sees them with, with great care and, and holds them gently. I mean, it's something that's precious to him. And, and sometimes people have thought, oh, the book must be all about sadness. But it's not at all. You know, there are many reasons that but people you can cry. cry tears of happiness, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Your and worship songs are tears of happiness when you said about crying in worship yeah so the book is quite varied don't be put off those of you listening <laughs> thinking oh <laughs> it's, it's going to be a depressing it's going to be a sad book <laughs> but you know bits of it are but bits of it most definitely aren't mm. uh, but it speaks to me and obviously i've not read the, the book but it, it speaks to me how god identifies with us and in our in our joy and also in our pain and, and i guess in our suffering but the fact that he collects our tears is what do you think he'll do with them well, uh, yes, I've often wondered that. And some people say to me, oh, he need a very, very big bottle for mine. <laughs> uh, some, you know, because some people do cry more than others. Of course. Um, yeah. Who knows? That's in, in God's prerogative as to what, what he does with it. But uh, like our tears, he holds us in the same way as being precious and loved. Um, and if, if those of you that are listening hear nothing else from all of this this morning, please hear that you are deeply, deeply loved more than you yet know. Mm. Well, that in itself, of course, can produce tears. I think one of the most amazing things, you know, we talk about the good news of the gospel. As I've got a bit older, I've thought that's not strong enough. You know, the good news, it's not good news at all, Jeannie. It's blooming marvellous, amazing, out of this world, incredible. I mean, there are no words to describe the love of God in Christ Jesus and the fact that that is expressed to all of his creation. And if you're not a Christian this morning and you're listening to me rabbiting on and Jeannie, you're as much loved as any of us. Absolutely. You are. Anyway, humble tears. So, so, the, uh, so uh, how was that received? I guess, did you not know? No, again, you don't know to some extent. We'll have to do something about this, won't we? <laughs> we'll have to find a way of, of finding out. Because it's funny, you know, because I must say that in broadcasting, I haven't had a huge amount of, of feedback. But when I've been at, reached a point where I'm thinking, God, does anybody listen to this? 
God has, at that point, very often done something quite spectacular. Uh, and it has encouraged me to show me that actually people do listen. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I felt God saying to me, but I'm not going to give you too much of that, Blair, because you'll have a big head. <laughs> uh, typical God, isn't it? Well, it's also something about trusting, isn't it? That yeah, if we, if we feel we're doing what we're called to do, then it, yeah. it's actually up to God what happens as a result of that. Absolutely, absolutely. But we all need encouragement, Jeannie, don't we, we? We do. And you'll probably get some this morning, I suspect, Blair, having said that. I think with a beautiful guest like you i don't know how i could fail to get some feedback about you you've been a fantastic guest and lots more to go uh, so tell us one of the stories from uh, from the tear book uh, so one of the biblical stories who's one of my absolute favorites is the unnamed woman in luke's gospel luke 7 um not to be confused with mary who also anoints jesus but they're they're different yeah, was, yeah. anointing was regular in those days um, and this woman uh, kind of comes in off the street probably literally and metaphorically um, and she uh, she weeps uh, and she releases her hair and she wipes jesus feet with her hair this was scandalous um, of course, at the time. It wasn't scandalous to Jesus, though, was it? No, and it wasn't, and he absolutely commends her. And the tears that she's uh, weeping are clearly tears of because she's been forgiven and released and, and set free to a new life. Uh, tears of, they're tears of gratitude. Um, and I just, I absolutely love that story. Um, and that it's, I'm so glad in some ways that she's not named because then we can all identify with her. Uh, as wherever we've come from, Jesus will say, you're welcome here. You know, she wasn't welcomed by the Pharisee whose house she was in, um, but she was welcomed by Jesus who, who set her as an example of how to welcome him as well. I think that's what makes life so confusing and particularly faith for so many people because people expect God to be a very harsh father and maybe they get that from their own dad. I, lots of different reasons why but very often the picture and the way people expect God to be is the total opposite to the way he really is it is and often sometimes actually as churches we don't really help with that you know because um, sometimes people at least the impression they have of church is they can't go there I did um, jury service a while ago six week jury service it was a murder trial and somebody that I was talking to said oh I, I couldn't come into a church I think the church would collapse you know it's kind of uh, um, wonderfully uh, within a few months she came um, into into the church that I was at at the time which was great but people just think oh church isn't for me it's for all these kind of very pious people it's absolutely not and no, church no. must be a place of welcome for anybody and everybody it's a hospital really hospital for all us broken people who actually have been well healed and put together you know as I drove past the Royal Bournemouth Hospital this morning, I've been doing this every day, but I, I asked God to bless the hospital, the staff and the patients and so on, because having been in there just for two days, uh, I just realised, you know, what a blessing we have in the NHS and the wonderful work that doctors and, and nurses do. Well, you know, if, you, if I can do that on a human level, if you know that God is the great physician and actually is able to do a deep healing w within us, beginning, of course, with the, the our sin and our disobedience and not, not to point a big finger at us or even to threaten us, you know, with hell and burning fire and all the rest of it. No, actually, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords draws us with love. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And a, a big shout out for the NHS. My parents both worked for the NHS. My son and daughter-in-law both do, so huge, yeah. huge lot of time Amen for Amen to that, Jeannie. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, God is, he's 
longing to welcome us as his children. He made us. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Well, Igeni Kendall is my very special guest today. We've been talking about her life and, of course, her books. We've done two so far. So the first one was uh, uh, Finding Our Voice. Uh, and then the second one that we just talked about there before the ads uh, was held in your bottle but there's a brand new one and you heard Adrian talking about it heroes are villains so where did the inspiration for this come from Jeannie? So one of the lovely things, all three of the books have got their own story, but um, this one was, I was just chatting with my grandson Gabriel one day, and he was talking about um, a particular cartoon set of characters, and he mentioned somebody's name, and I said, oh, is that a goodie or a baddie? And, And he answered me, but as he answered me, I thought, oh, hang on a minute... It's only really in cartoon world, isn't it, that people are that simple. They're good or they're bad. And that got me thinking again about some of the Bible characters who are perhaps seen as heroes. They are talked about as heroes, but Mm. actually parts of their lives are quite villainous. Um, And likewise, there are villains, and there are some villains in the Bible. Do you do Paul, Saul, and then Paul? (laughs) Uh, Well, I do, but in a way that surprises people because actually the characteristic that I look at with Paul is vulnerability. Mm. And that's not what most people would associate with Paul. Um, but in each of the characters, I, I've taken a quality that goes with that particular character, um, as well as some imaginative stuff, as always, and some Bible text. I've looked at a little bit of the very accessible psychology. What, what, how does that come about? Um, so with Jezebel, for example, who features in the book. Now, she is a villain. There's no two ways oh, about yeah, she's that. she a, a bit of a formidable lady, wasn't she? She, she was. But, you know, she didn't start life like that. Mm. So I try and uh, a little nuance that at least a little bit, uh, what might it have been. But look in that chapter at power um, and the, in, the impact of power in our lives and so on. And then and one of my favourites is Rizpa, who's a little-known character from the Old Testament. Um, really quite a story. She was a concubine of Saul, um, and a uh, long story as to why this happens, but her two sons are killed and their bodies left on a hillside with uh, some others. Um, and that was incredibly disrespectful. So she goes to the hillside and for four months she bats off the animals and the birds. She obviously must have had help bringing food up from the local women um, until King David is shamed into doing something about it and the, the bodies of bones by then um, are taken and are buried honourably. And that chapter's all about protest because really uh, she was living out uh, protest in a very visible way and it led to a change Where do you get this? Because it's very refreshing new take, you've only mentioned a couple of the characters but where do you get this uh, this very refreshing new slant on these characters? Um, I, I do try and sort of immerse myself in uh, you know, it's just not flights of fancy I do try and immerse myself in, in the kind of research as to the, the background of them and of the context they were living in so that it isn't just pure imagination but then having done that I think well okay um, how might that have felt and, and I suppose like all of us put myself into that situation and also the many, many people that I've met over the years with the lovely qualities um, that they've had and, and try and round it out because we, we sometimes we read these Bible stories so simply and we think we've heard them a hundred times but actually there's so much more when you delve into them as people not just as a 
name on the page. Well, I was thinking that what you're helping us to do is to get to know the heart, if you like, of the character, you know, the, the essence of who they really were that perhaps led them to be either a villain or a hero. Yes, exactly. And, and to recognise that those qualities are there in us. And so we can choose either to let God deal with the things that are not the good qualities um, that we have. And that actually some of the biblical heroes had some pretty you know, they didn't always live well, did they? Um, but also to help God to build in us the beautiful qualities um, that are there in the Bible. I've kept asking you about feedback, but I mean, obviously, the 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 book, the book, the book for Christian faith is the Bible itself. But I can see how your writing, in all of its forms, in all of your books, actually is a big bridge between. The, the Bible, the scriptures, and a deeper study, a deeper knowledge, actually, of those very important people, but also about the the situation, the culture in which they operated, and, of course, the so what that we talked about earlier on. I really hope so, because um, I hope that my books will be read by Christians and it will um, reinforce a love for the Bible that they have or maybe refresh it if it's gone a little bit stale for them, which, you know, if we're honest, that happens for, you know, from oh, time for to all time. Of us, for all of us. Yeah, for all of us. But also I hope it might be read by people who aren't Christians or who are just uh, kind of on the fringe of faith or new to faith so they can have the same excitement um, about the scriptures that, that I have. Well, I suppose the one thing that we all can do is we can identify with those characters, can't we? Um, I guess we can identify with the bad stuff, the negative, which, let's be honest, is in all of us, as well as the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and as we identify with it, um, then we can allow God to change. You know, the last song, it was talking about, I want to be like Jesus and have his heart. Um, and that's my desire. And I'm sure that's all of our desires who know him. This is a tough question for you. Uh, of all the characters that you've written about in the new book, do you have a favourite one? Oh, that's difficult. Um, that is a tough question because I, I kind of love them all, actually, even even Jezebel in, in her own way. Um, cause I, well, that's interesting to hear you say that because anybody who knows anything about Jezebel probably focus on all the bad stuff. Well, that's right. But you see, she, she didn't start life like that. How she, did she start life? Well, she was she was born into a, a, um, a, a kingly family in the land that she was originally from. And so like all of us, she started life as a baby. But she was married off to the king of Israel, to Ahab, mm. as a political marriage, um, which entailed her leaving her homeland, leaving her religion with which she was familiar. Um, now, we, we see it as a pagan religion and it was but there's something in the resilience that she held on to that I'm not saying she was right no, but she no. held on to that she was faithful to she, what she, she knew. was to what she knew and it was was to have been horrible to be ousted from your own land married off to somebody who was a bit weak to be honest Ahab mm. so you know you can see how some of those things shaped her yes yeah, she was a monster but she didn't start like that but coming back to your question I, I think in some ways probably Simeon Ah. Uh, so, because Simeon gets relegated to the Christmas story and actually often doesn't get spoken about because we talk about the various other characters before the birth, we do Christmas Day and then we tend to sort of move on swiftly. We encounter him when he's blind and he's waiting, isn't he? Very faithfully waiting for the Messiah. Yes, which, you know, it's just a wonderful, wonderful story of patience, which is the, 
um, the particular quality that I looked at. And um, I really enjoyed doing the imaginative part. I enjoyed all the imaginative parts, actually, but Simeon imagining how, how it was that he got that nudge from God to go to the temple at that moment mm. and encounter this very ordinary couple and seeing them knew that this was what he'd been waiting for. Have you watched any of the, of the film series The Chosen? Uh, a bit. I haven't. Not much. People keep telling to me, telling me I must. <laughs> well, the only reason why I'm even mentioning it is because you've talked about imagining, and one of the things, of course, that the chosen do. Some people don't like this, of course, because that's not in the Bible. <laughs> but in a way, one of the reasons why I, I've really enjoyed watching the chosen. I've watched all the series. They, they, series number four is in production. In fact, they've finished filming, and no doubt it will be released shortly. But they have taken not dissimilar to yourself, Jean, they've taken stories and there's been quite a bit of creative imagining. Mm. But I must say that the creative imagining has, for me, it has brought it alive, whether it actually was that way or not. I mean, it's it's creative license. I guess it's the same with, with you. But But in a way, have you felt that as you've let your imagination think about those characters that you've been writing about, have they become very personal to you in the same way that you're... It's almost like God revealing to you really what they were really like and and what they really had to face. I think they really have, actually. Um, and, of course, like like I hope the readers will, I've identified with some of them particularly uh, more than others. But, yes, they, they, they do sort of people my life in a very real way now actually and so when I come back to the the scriptures and read their stories again um, I'm reading of course what it says there but reading them with that kind of extra uh, kind of edge of feeling like I know them well In white and all I know. And of course, that was significant because you were moving location yet again to the beautiful Christchurch. <laughs> well, yes, it's still relevant. That I mean, I first heard that song moving from Streatham to Carshalton Beaches, um, ah. the new adventure there, the last phase of my paid ministry, if you what like. What did you do there? Um, so I was co-minister there, which uh, meant there was two of us. Um, we were kind of equal across the board. We we preached the same amount. We uh, so it was a, a completely um, uh, kind of New yeah. Experience. We we all did the same things, and and everybody said, oh, you know that can't work. Wait, uh, can't work because it, you're, you're both being equal. And mm-hmm. My colleague was a a man, um, a generation younger than me, but it worked wonderfully well, actually. Uh, I, I'm a huge believer in co-ministry if you've got the right personalities. It's essential, isn't it? I mean, it was one of the things that Jesus taught, I mean, I guess it was a bit scary for those disciples when he said, well, listen, you know, you're going to do even greater things than what I've done. But of course, they'd seen what Jesus did, but they must have been a bit gobsmacked after Pentecost, you know, and then actually demons were cast out in the the dead were raised and and the blind eyes were opened and most important of all the gospel of jesus went forward at quite a speed yeah and god is a god of surprises you know he doesn't um c.s lewis doesn't he talks about god not being a a tame lion when he wrote the narnia books Um, and we we need to be open to all sorts of surprises individually and the ways that god is at work in his church 
It, it, I guess that we we never arrive to be in Christian faith because for I guess the Bible says that you know that looking in a mirror dimly, and then one day we will see him face to face. I know your your grandson asked you what heaven was like. Uh, children are amazing at giving these very poignant, very pointed questions, aren't they? They are usually the ones that are completely unanswerable, like that one. Yeah, um, but they they make you think, which is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, of course you've been doing. You are a thinker because obviously. You've thought through, researched your books and and what you've put on those pages uh, in the three books that you've written. Now, your next project, Jeannie, <laughs> I, uh, have you have you got some inkling what it might be? Well, yes, I have. I'm, I'm looking to have, because I've done quite a lot of sort of imaginative psychological um, stuff, and I'm sure that will continue in, in one way or another. Um, I always write. I mean, anybody who's on Facebook, I put a blessing on Facebook every Monday morning, a fresh Ooh. blessing. So if you're on Facebook, search me out. Um, but um, I'm hoping to do a devotional book this time around. So a bit of a mix of story, observational things from nature, um, from life, from the children, from all sorts of other things uh, with a prayer um, and some a little bit of Bible stuff. So, yeah, that's what I'm looking to do next time round. So have you made a start on it yet, are you? I have made a start. Life has intervened a smidge, <laughs> so it hasn't got too far, but hopefully I can get back to some writing on it soon. Well, I know the, the, the grandchildren, your two grandchildren are very important to you. Uh, and I guess that with parents, and us grandparents, we're a bit of a lifeline, aren't we? Because there's Granny Karen and Nanny Karen, in your case. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and it's a huge, huge privilege. That's what I'm going to be doing the rest of the day. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just lovely to be able to do that. You're, uh, all of your years of, of ministry, because obviously you had Streatham and then Kirsch Alton, as you just talked about there. I mean, I asked you about favourite characters, but of all the things that you've done in your public ministry, I know you go around speaking quite a bit. So, by the way, guys, if you're looking for a really inspiring speaker for your church or your group or, or whatever group you have, then Jeannie's available, aren't you? I am indeed. Yeah. And, uh, and, and how do they reach you through, through Facebook? Uh, yeah, through Facebook, um, there's Jeannie Kendall and there's a Facebook page called um, Finding Our Voice uh, and it's got a longer title, but that will find it. Um, or contact Christchurch Baptist, I'm sure they'd be happy to pass my point details you, on. Point your details yeah. on, well, yeah, uh, no doubt you make riveting, um, riveting reading. But I guess that, that you know, uh, in this new phase of your life, because here you are down beautiful Dorset uh, and and whatever. Now you're active in church, aren't you? Uh, is it Christchurch Baptist? Yes, I'm active there. I still teach a pastoral supervision on Zoom for Spurgeon's College. Um, and uh, I do some interviewing for the Baptist Union in all sorts of ways. Um, so, yeah, involved in, in lots of things. And I also invigilate exams in a local school. I was going to say, why, why, why did you turn your hand to that? <laughs> uh, it's really a way of getting to know people. Teaching, doesn't it? Uh, it? It does go back to, to teaching, but also um, as Christians, we can get a little bit insular. So all the people we know are Christians um, and wanted in moving to a new area to, um, to just to meet some other people. And my neighbour across the road does it. So he introduced me and yeah, just going into the second school year. And I guess that that's introduced you to a whole raft of new friends. <laughs> uh, yeah, new friends and a whole new world. <laughs> Actually, invigilating exams is a lot more complicated than it used to be, but I'm enjoying, enjoying it a lot. That's Keith and Christine Getty there. 
there is a higher throne. And uh, Jeannie said that often listening to that would make her shed a tear or two because you, you associate it really with funerals, don't you? Of course, I guess you've done a few of those in your time. I have quite a few. And I think it's one of the biggest privileges, actually, of being a minister because that's the last thing that you can do for that person. Um, and to do that well and to do it carefully, um, it's important for that person that you're honouring, but it's also important, obviously, for the people to whom that person was very, very important. Absolutely. And, of course, the, the other thing is there is such hope for the for the, the, the person who is who has given their life to Christ, you know. I mean, in the Bible, it says Thessalonians, that we, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. I, I often find myself saying, uh, that people who I know have given their lives to Christ and uh, oh, we don't always know because you never know what happens in those final moments between the person and God, you know. But uh, but to know that they're with him and that all that the Bible says about all the, time, all the pain and all the tears being wiped away. But it must be an amazing, I think, with your grandson, it's a very good question, what's heaven like? I have interviewed a few people, Jeannie, who have been and back. Right. And yeah. uh, I, you know, I guess you have to hold these things a wee bit lightly. But the thing that's always amazed me is how the stories are very similar, you know. And uh, enough to say that it, it's an awesome place. But, of course, the, it's the presence of God Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is the light of the of the kingdom, which people comment on. You know this amazing light, and actually they they also talk about liquid love. So it's like seeing, as the Bible says, seeing Him face to face, as He really is, no holds barred. That must be awesome, isn't it? Oh, I, th- I think that thought of seeing Jesus face to face is is the most precious thing. But you know, we don't know exactly what heaven is like, of no. course, and it is it is the great hope that we have and I, I i have a lot of hope for people who perhaps you know on on this side of that particular change of location didn't know jesus but the the dying thief always springs oh, yes, to mind yeah. you know the final moments of his life and jesus's words to him of course are you will be with me in paradise Today. and paradise was actually um the word given for the king's garden in persia it was the place where people who were highly honored were taken with the king mm. and i love that for that this well, it's good that, that God is the judge, isn't it? That we don't have to worry about that. And we don't know, actually, we don't know enough about people. I think too often we tend to act as judge, don't we? And we think we've got it all sewn up theologically. But I think God likes messing up our theology, don't we? <laughs> oh, completely. He's messed up mine, I'm sure, over <laughs> many a year. But yeah, he's, he's much bigger and much more generous and much more loving and merciful than we are. Yeah, I, And we need to hold on to that. I would definitely say amen to that. But one very important point that you made off there and that was that obviously we hear a lot of tributes uh, and a lot of really kind words but of course your question was but do we say those positive things the way we really truly feel about people that we love whilst they're living well that's right and i'm a great advocate in saying um to the people that we love and and care for not not just those in our immediate family but our friends you know people that we know of saying how important they are to saying the lovely things that we see in them now because we never know you know life can be taken suddenly um and or sometimes we may not have the opportunity to say what we want to say um so it's great to say it absolutely in tribute of funerals and lovely to hear parts of a person's life that you perhaps didn't know about if you knew them in a particular part of their life but you know please a plea to all of us say those things now tell people how much you love them 
uh, now, don't wait. Absolutely, and then bless the socks off them. <laughs> you can never do too much. And I think also that one of the things that comes out, I mean, you've talked a lot about your research and so on, and in which case you encounter those characters that you you write about or the, or the scenarios that you write about. And I think that if we make a pledge today, I think it's to get to know people around us, people who maybe we think we know, but actually maybe we don't really know. And the only way we're really going to really know is by spending time um, and, get, and creating time, I guess, for that, in the same way that you create time for your research. Yeah, we can be so reserved, I think, can't we? And, and uh, other cultures are much better in many ways at, at living communally and of knowing each other. Uh, mm. But we need to sometimes get out from behind our four walls and listen to one another. 